This is my comeback story. This is my comeback story. This is Trey Lewis with Good Landing Recovery, and you're listening to The Comeback. Hey, guys. Excited to be back. Got my man David Hobbs in the house. What's up, Hobbs? What's going on, brother? Hobbs and I have been friends for approximately 20 years. We both come from the flatlands of the Mississippi Delta, specifically Clarksdale, Mississippi. And uh, we used to get high together. And now we work together and we help a lot of people come out of this hell known as active addiction. Um, Some of you are familiar with Hobbs and his story. There was a picture of him whenever he was under the influence of illicit drugs, uh, I guess about probably close to two years now. Yeah, it was um, September 11th, 2019. This September will be two years. Wow. September 11th, 2019. And so he, the, the story is is that he was in Clarksdale. Um, he was under the influence um, in a Captain America costume. Um, neighbor held him at gunpoint, thought he was breaking into a shed. Uh, police arrest him and... One of the officers, with the arresting officer, yes, yeah, takes a picture with his phone, throws it up on social media, and it goes viral. And when I mean viral, I'm talking the New York Post picked it, picked it up, the Atlanta Journal Constitution picked it up, uh, Miami Herald. I mean, it, it was even picked up by a newspaper in Tokyo. So it was literally it went global. You know, everybody thought it was funny. I mean, everybody was was laughing and and you know laughing at him. And you know, in in reality, it it, it is funny in its own right. But you know what what we tend to forget in times like that that you've got a man that is broken, um, who is addicted, who's dealing with the disease of addiction. Um, and you've got a mom who loves her son so much, knows the potential and who he was was made to be, and the whole world is laughing at her son. And he w- would eventually make it to Good Landing um, and uh, just came in and from the door crushed it. You were serious. Um, you weren't playing games. You know, kept your eye focused on why you were here. You got what you came for came on staff and have just been an example of what it means to walk this thing out of commitment. I don't see you, you know, wavering in your commitment and all over the place. It's really cool to be able to run with you, honestly. Um, and so so a lot of people know that part of the story. If you didn't know that part of the story, I mean, that, that's who we're sitting here talking with. But, you know, I, I want to know, how'd you get there? You know, what, what was it like growing up? And, um, you know, just tell us your story. <clears throat> All right. So it started when I was a young teenager, right? You know, um, my home life was very chaotic. Were you born in Clarksdale? I was. Okay. So you came up. Yeah. You know, I, I went to Kirkpatrick, went to Oakhurst Junior High, Clarksdale High. But um, my home life was very chaotic. You know, my dad was an alcoholic. My mom and dad was always fighting. Um you know, I love both my parents very much. My mom did what she could, but, you know, my home is the last place I ever really wanted to be. You know, like when when I got to be about the age of 15, 16, started going to parties, I looked at my friends as my family. Anything they were doing, I'm doing, you know, that's where I wanted to be all the time, you know. And, um, you know, it just started out like harmless drinking at parties or whatever, right? At least I thought it was harmless. 
And uh, I remember I got in a skateboarding accident. I was holding on to Bill Taylor's car going 55 miles an hour on a skateboard and fell off. <laughs> you went on the Escalade, were you? No, he was in, his <laughs> had like a little blue Honda or something. I don't know. I didn't know that guy's name in years. And um, the doctor gave me like some lower tab fives or something, but the pharmacy messed up and gave me lower tab tens. And I was riding around with a guy named Ryan Swinkowski was drinking gin and juice. And like, I took like two of the, what I thought were fives and they were tens. And I was like, I love this feeling. And that's kind of how the pain pill addiction started. Right. And then come to find out it was also in my house. You know, my mom and dad were taking them. I found out they had them, you know, they didn't know that I, that I knew that, you know, I go lift up their mattress and find it right there. And I always hung out with the older wow. crowd. Um, I got in, introduced to ecstasy and raves, and it just went from drinking to smoking weed to being hooked on pain pills at a young age to doing ecstasy and, you know, trying psychedelics. And somewhere after 2001, I was introduced to meth, and, you know, it was just a constant downward spiral, you know, for 20 years. Like, there was times where I've gotten better, you know, at like concealing the addiction, but it was always, always hooked on pain pills, whether I was getting them prescribed from a doctor or getting them off the street. But like, even at the times when me and my dad and brother was running our own business, working in Oklahoma or Texas or wherever, I was still, I was still addicted to pain pills. Like, you know, we'd, I'd have to go find a pain clinic or whatever. And it controlled my life, you know, and there was times where I didn't, I got off meth for short periods of time here and there, but um, it just got to be unmanageable and uncontrollable. Even when I thought that I had my head above water, I really didn't. I mean, I was only fooling myself. Yeah. You know. Wow. So opioids, I mean, meth, all of it. Yeah, I mean, like, the the one drug I, I haven't tried was heroin. That's the only thing, you know, and not at Growing up in Clarksdale, when we were growing up, heroin's that's not something that was around, right? Yeah, I never even saw it. Yeah. And uh, so I'm, I'm thankful for that, you know, because um, that stuff is death. You know, yeah. it is killing people. Right. And um, I just think about now how they're lacing fentanyl with everything, whether it's a pain pill or weed or whatever, man. So many people are dying from it, man. It really is an epidemic. That's true. I can imagine having to navigate today. I mean, not that. You know, it, it wasn't real out there whenever we were going through it, but the but the fentanyl into the equation is is just a completely different yeah. monster. So you're you're there, and then what 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 time frame is this in your life? So I mean, <clears throat> so from I would say from 2001 is the first time I ever tried meth, right? Um, and then uh, actually I started cooking meth, you know, just, yeah. which a lot of people were or whatever. And um, that went on from like 2001 to 2005. Uh, and then I moved to Texas. I stopped doing meth for probably four years. Wow. But I was still on uh, methadone, you know, which is a beast all in itself. Yeah. Um, you know, I come back from Oklahoma in 2009, 2010. Yeah. And then um, – I was in a toxic relationship with a with this girl that was actually I was in a relationship with her for six years, and she was actually married the whole time. Like it, it was very, very, very toxic. And 
her, she got me back on meth. Well, I, you know, I'm sure, a grown man. man. I, I do my own yeah. thing, but you know, yeah. She reintroduced it to me, and um, I got back in it there, and that lasted to 2015, something like that, and. You know, just all these things, a combination of making bad decisions, thinking this is my life. You know, I'm a drug addict. I do drugs. You know, I'm probably going to do them till the day I die. It is what it is. You know, that's, I thought that was normal. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, did, did you have any, did you play sports? Was there any positive yeah. role models in your life early on that really attempted to, to try to get your attention? Yeah. So in junior high, I, I played football, right? And like, I played peewee league and stuff like that too. And then um, when I graduated junior high into high school, I was hanging out with guys that was like, man, you don't need to play football. You need to just come hang out with us in the afternoons and drink alcohol out in the country, you know, just yeah. all these things. And I sure. was like, man, I don't, if I go to football practice, I'm going to miss something. Yeah. You know, like I always thought I was going to miss something. Like sitting around doing nothing, drinking alcohol was so much more important than playing football. Yeah. And just, just the bad decisions I made thinking, you know, that hanging out with dumb friends that, you know, were just up to no good was the most important thing in my life. Yeah, it's funny you say that. I, I remember my senior year, and I, I knew the, like, how strict they were to play football. You know, I mean, you just coach is going to come around, coach wise is going to come around, check and make sure that you were home, you know, that your car was where it's supposed to be at midnight. And I, I remember tossing and turning over the idea of whether or not I was going to play football. And I'm like, nah, in no way, I'm going to party. <laughs> I just couldn't, couldn't give it up. And, you know, it's, 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 so, it's so weird how, you know, you look back and, and just so quickly that, that just, like you said, I mean, in a sense, I'm going to miss something. You know, and and like there's going to be, you know, some kind of, you know, life opportunity. And it's just all about drinking and, and building a life around a a subculture that was, you know, ultimately going to going to destroy us. Right. And throughout these times. Right. I got in a lot of car wrecks with other people driving, you know, um, I was in a car wreck where someone sideswiped us. I was in another car wreck, was passing Bali Academy. Guy was doing 85 miles an hour when we hit that bridge, you know, right around Westover. Um, and I have two bulging discs in my back that pinch on the same nerve twice. And I like my hands go numb real bad a lot of times, like it wakes me up in the middle of the night. And uh, that, of course, that gave me a free ride to see any doctor I wanted to. When I was 18, wow. I was getting prescribed 120 lower tabs and 120 somas every month. Wow. And um, and then, randomly enough, my doctor had a massive heart attack on July 4th. So I started going to a pain clinic in Memphis, and they were giving me uh, 180 methadone 10s and 120 Percocet 10s for breaking pain. You know, I mean, like, who's not going to get addicted taking that many pills, wow. you know? And um, it's just a combination of things. And then being going through withdrawals from the pain pills – Right, I would start doing meth to combat the withdrawals. Yeah, you know, because I would sell the pills to get other stuff, and you know, every month I'd start going through withdrawals because I'd run out, and I would do meth to combat the withdrawals. And normally, I would put it down every few months and stuff. But the last relationship I was in was real toxic. You know, she did meth, I did meth. You know, I I got it for us, which whatever ways you know, and led up to that night, right and. 
You know, I woke up in the middle of the night not even realizing that her, her and I had a fight earlier that night because I took some Xanaxes and fell asleep, and I locked her out of the house. And uh, she woke me, she finally woke me up, and we got in a big fight. Well, when I went back to sleep and woke up in the middle of the night, I totally forgot that we'd gotten in a fight. And I'm like, where is she at in my car and with my phone? <laughs> got up, walking around the house, and there was a big cardboard box. And I'd never seen the costume before, but, you know, just thinking I'm a, being funny. I'm like, I'm putting it on and going walking. You know, it's 3.30 right. in the morning. I'm outside walking around in the costume. Next door, the neighbor comes out, and he's standing there with a gun at the end of the alley. I'm like, Maybe he needs some help. What's he doing outside at 3.30 in the morning? And I walk up to him. like I'm like a half a block away from him, right? I walk up to him. He's like, freeze, get on the ground. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm like, oh. Then I realized I was in the costume. Yeah. And I didn't even realize the guy was a retired Marine, and he worked at uh, like Tutwiler Prison. Uh, he was a correctional officer. I see. And, um, but, yeah, man, just bad choices, hanging out with the wrong people in the wrong mindset. You know, um, it it led to a bad life for a long time. You yeah. Know, um, 19, 20 years of addiction, you know, uh, started out with alcohol and just harmless fun. You know, just, I don't know, man, just trying to, I feel like I was trying to find love from friends because my home life was in disarray, right? Like, I, I feel like I wasn't getting things I needed at home, so therefore I was seeking it through my friends, but that led to seeking drugs and led me down a bad path for a long time. Did you ever go to treatment before you came here? I've never been to treatment. And, um, you know, and I, I think that's – who's to say whether or not I would have got it right if I would have went to treatment at 21 or 35, you know what I'm saying? I don't know. But for a long time, I thought I was stuck in my circumstances no matter what I did because if I'm on the street and I'm going through withdrawals, I'm not going to sit there for very long until, you know what I'm saying, I go find some dope or pills or something. To, sure. So I'm not feeling the way I'm feeling. I right. mean, like, you know, if somebody has the means to not feel that way, they're going to not feel that way because it sucks, yep. you know. And uh, But even in my addiction, I was praying to God, please get me out of this revolving nice. door of circumstances that I'm in. Give me an opportunity to change my life, and I promise you I will take it. T talk to me now. I mean, you're one and done guy i mean it's very very unusual i mean you you know all the statistics and how unusual it is for somebody to i mean just to get clean period much less get clean on their very first attempt at treatment i mean talk to me now about a mindset you know right now whether it's moms that are listening whether it's people on the fence whether it's people that are already in it you know that have a mindset i mean you've been around here long enough you've seen the people that make it seen the people that don't make it i mean let's just you know, get get back in it into to what what type of mindset, relationship with Jesus, you know, what the, the elements that somebody needs to, to really beat this thing. Man, I think the mindset a person has when they come into treatment or the mindset they get once they're here, regardless of what treatment center they're in, I think that's the most important thing you can have. You gotta have a hatred for your old way of life. And you got to want something new. Like, I remember coming here, even when I first, when I was on my way here, I'm thinking, man, I'm going to do 30 days. You know, I've already got 30 days in jail clean, and I'm good. But I still didn't want to do drugs anymore. I was yeah. sick of it. I hated it. I wasn't going through withdrawals anymore. You know, I was through with drugs. Through with it and made up my mind. <clears throat> you know, and I've never been to rehab before. Like, my, my idea of rehab when I was on my way here was people sitting around in a circle, 
holding hands, singing Kumbaya. That's what I thought rehab was. I'm not going to lie. Like, you know, and, um, but I got here, man, and like I developed a new relationship with God. And I remember the first Friday night, I'll never forget it. Um, Rebecca was singing, uh, This is how we fight our battles. And you came and put your arms around me and said, This song's for you. And uh, right then and there, it changed my life, man. And um, life is steady changing every day. But the mindset you have, you have to have a willingness and a determination never to go back to that and to want something different. Yeah. That's so good, man. I don't think anybody does it better than you. And to, uh, you know, look at all of that. You know, like like you said, I mean, to to cultivate a hatred, you know, that we don't forget where we came from and to know that we don't want to be a part of anything to flirt with that darkness that's going to lead us back there. Um, Making your mind up on the front end. I mean, I'm not here to play silly games and to have these weird allegiances or, you know, trying to, to, to get around people that are going to reinforce that old way of life to keep me sick and to know that I'm going to the hospital to, to be able to get better and to look at it through that lens. I mean, it, it's always so absurd, you know, whenever you make the analogy of, you know, if somebody's got cancer and you're going to get cancer treatment and then you're always, you know, tr- trying to, you know, pull the, the IV, you know, trying to pull the medicine out of your arm or, or whatever, you know, you're just like, what, what, what's wrong with you? Why in the world would you come into the environment to get better but then go – and 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 try to avoid the very thing that is that is going to help you, and you know hopefully when people are listening to this right now that that a light bulb is going off of like man why why do I keep doing this and sometimes it's just old patterns that we have in our place and or that we that we have in place and we just need somebody to help snap us out of it of like yeah that's just my default my default is to go and to find something that's comfortable when in reality I need to find something that's going to challenge me so that I can have a different life and you don't go out there and do another 20 years in, in active addiction and continue to, you know, waste. Yeah, and I remember after I got arrested, like, I felt so alone, so alone in that moment, so ashamed of just thinking, man, like, I'm arrested again, you yeah. know, like, and they asked me if I wanted to make a phone call. I'm like, no, I don't have anybody I want to call. Like, wow. I wasn't calling my mom. You know what I'm saying? Like, there wasn't anybody else I was going to call, but I definitely wasn't calling my mom because I didn't want to let her down again. I didn't yeah. want to break her heart. How many again. times have you been in jail? Um, I've been arrested quite a few times, like, just for dumb stuff, you know. Uh, but at that time, I was already on probation. Yeah. Um, you know, and, you know, and then that next morning – they take me over to the courthouse to see, to um, give me a bond or whatever, right? And my mom was already in the courthouse. Like, she'd already she'd already seen it on the news. Like, I didn't realize it, it had already been posted on the news, you know? Like, my yeah. mom's in the courthouse in tears. And I'm like, how does she know about this, you know? And, yeah. and just even the judge asking the lawyer, is he even competent to stand trial? Like they're talking to me, like I'm retar- like they're talking about me in front of me, like I'm retarded. Yeah, I mean, like yeah, I was in an outfit, okay. Like it might have been weird, <laughs> but it wasn't against the law, man. Like, and um, but just in that moment, man, I, I felt so much shame and guilt, wow. and I was like, I'm never going to do this to the people who love me again. Wow, you know. Wow, good for you, man. And to know there's freedom out of that. That that's another thing too, because. 
you know, when you think about all the shame and guilt that comes along with it, whether you you get your face plastered on news outlets all over the all over the world, or it's just the stuff that that we do that's that we're prisoners in our own mind because we know what we did out there, the things that we thought, the things that we said, that we that we took part in. And to know that there is a God who loves us, who offers forgiveness. The Bible says anybody that would look to the Lord will not be put to shame, that he's going to take our shame, take our guilt, give us a new identity, and we don't have to walk around like that. Yeah, that's good. Like That makes me think of um, for the longest time, anytime I would get ready to go to sleep, my mind was constantly at war, like, you know, I constantly have racing thoughts, like constantly thinking about something I did or whatever it is, right? But now, like, I think it was after 60 days after I got here, I started sleeping in peace. Wow. Like, it's amazing. Yeah, and it loses its power. Yeah. If people will stay in the process, let God do his work, let him redefine who you are. That's why it gets so important to get underneath good teaching. And, you know, you talked about the song, Surround it, you know. I mean, you just think about that that picture of, of what appears to be surrounded by shame and enemies, but in reality, that God has all of that surrounded and that He is fighting for you and he, He's gonna take all of that. But but people I think so often, you know, don't either don't want to trust him in that, don't want to let him, you know, don't want to play their final move to trust in Jesus, to know that He is the one that is going to make make us new, take away that shame, give us a new mind, and, um, you know, to, to see you walk that out with him and let him really heal you and to not see an ounce of that. You know, you're not somebody that's walking around here with your head down, you're full of confidence, you know, you've gotten in the gym, I mean, you just completely transformed, um, you know, I wish people on the podcast, I know this is just audio only, if they could see you, you can go to our Facebook page, and we'll probably post some more pictures and the story up there, and you can see the transformation. But it really is remarkable, man. I'm so grateful for you and, and all that you do to, to help us here. Man, and I, I'm grateful. You know, like like I was saying that I was praying to ask God to deliver me from my circumstance. Me getting arrested was me being delivered because, yeah. you know, it got to you, and you threw me a lifeline to to bring me out of that. Like, I could have easily said no, right? I could have easily, well, yeah. not easily, but I could convince my mom that I'm dried out in jail. I don't need rehab. I'm going to do better. You know, I've said it a hundred times, but this time's different. You know, I probably could have convinced her of that. Yeah. But as soon as I heard that I had a chance to go to rehab and do something different, something that I haven't done before, I immediately said yes. I didn't think about it. I didn't hesitate. I said, absolutely. If I yeah. get out of jail, I want to go. And I got out of jail like it. 10 a.m., my mom, she wouldn't even let me see my girlfriend. Like She's just like, you ain't going back to that house. <laughs> she can come up to the police department. Good for your mom. And yeah, ma'am. You know, I don't know what I would do without her, right? But like, so I sat in the parking lot and visited with my girlfriend for an hour when my mom's sitting right beside her car. And um, right after that, I got back in the car with my mom. Uh, I stopped at my mom's house, grabbed some clothes, and went from there straight to Georgia. And, um, you know, I didn't go see anybody else. We came straight here. And my mom had to work the next day. Like, you know, just a little bit of what she's done for me. Like, she drove all the way to Georgia. Like, we got here around 1 a.m., 1 o'clock in the morning. And then she turned around and drove all the way back because she had to be at work at, like, 10 a.m. that morning. Come on. Like, man, the sacrifices she's made and the things she's done for me are unbelievable. We love you, Shirley.
We know you're listening. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, it really is. I mean, just to see her advocate for you, to cheer you on, to hold you accountable. I mean, what a just really just an, an incredible story, incredible comeback story. Grateful for you, man. Thank you. Let's do it again soon. Absolutely. All right. Guys, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. It is a privilege and an honor to be able to serve you. If you or someone in your family is struggling with addiction, please give us a call. It's 770-570-7422.